Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the Podmedic, and um, we're really um, excited to bring back a guest that we had had on, uh, goodness gracious, probably back in March, I think. Um, and uh, it'll be exciting to have her back on the show to talk about some of her experiences um, since we talked to her last. And I'll get to that in just a second. But first, we have to connect with my co-host, Sam Bradley. Hey, Sam. Well, I'm not nearly as an exciting a place as uh, many of our team are. Um, I just talked to Joe. He's in Orlando finishing a deployment that he wants to talk to us about. And, and he's going to EMS World for a day. So we'll hear from him later in the week. And uh, our guest is coming to you from uh, Krakow in Poland because she happens to be Polish, so that works out well. But she's got this woman does so many so many exciting things. I can't believe it. I, I really wish I was her. But Kasia Hampton, she's a doc. We met her through uh, her fellowship program with Dr. Froki in St. Louis, and she was headed out to the border when the war started to help refugees coming over from Ukraine and has had a lot of exciting adventures since. So we're going to catch up with her from that point. Kasha, hi. Hi, Kim. So great to hear you. And I'm really thrilled to be back on the podcast. Um, a lot, indeed. A lot has happened uh, since March, uh, since my first visit to Ukraine. And that one wasn't back quite brief. We went uh, to western slash central Ukraine um, to, I would call it a reconnaissance slash training mission. Uh, we did a lot of training for territorial defense, for hospitals, uh, just to bring them the knowledge and the goodness of tactical medicine. Because one of the biggest issues that has been ongoing, uh, an ongoing problem in Ukraine was the fact that people got all this fantastic equipment from all over the world, but they didn't know how to use it. Um, yeah, we found that out. <laughs> oh, yeah? What happened? You told me. Well, we were, you know, getting, because of you, my nonprofit, IDMC, in helping you get supplies for that original mission, launched a huge uh, humanitarian mission with about 50 volunteers, mostly medical people. And, and so we would send them more updated equipment and then realize mm -hmm. they weren't using it because what they had was by our standards, you know, turn of the century. So we had to send some people over there to train them and we're, we're doing education for them. So we found that out all too quickly that that's not going to help them if they can't use it. <laughs> And that, you know, I'm not talking fancy equipment. I'm talking uh, combat gauze, um, tourniquets, like right. the basic, you know, tactical medical stuff that you really need to provide successful, you know, care under such circumstances. So, yeah, that was quite an experience. Then I went, came back to the U.S. for just a month to complete some of my fellowship requirements. And in May, I left again. I ended up staying in Ukraine almost until the end of September, out of which nearly um, two months, seven weeks, something like that, uh, in Kharkiv, which was at that time about 10 to 15 kilometers from the front lines. Let me tell you, that was quite I would say explosive experience. I can imagine. Oh, yeah. They continued to be, you know, shelling the city just about all day, all night, 
uh, random buildings, random times of the day. As a matter of fact, my first night in Kharkiv, uh, there was a rocket uh, that uh, was fired at a building about 100 meters from my uh, hotel. So uh, I was like, oh boy, what on earth did I get myself into? But coming back to May, at first I was more in Western Ukraine helping train um, providers in medical care simply because uh, what we have seen, obviously, a lot of the people from uh, Eastern Ukraine, they migrated to Western Ukraine. Not all of them uh, went outside the Ukrainian borders. And all of a sudden, Western Ukraine found itself you know, overpopulated and unable to uh, provide a sufficient and efficient medical care to all those folks. And especially if you think that not every hospital has appropriate uh, equipment such as you know, CT scans, MRI, and, and those people came with a lot of medical problems and certain uh, histories that, um, that they were quite struggling, to be honest, in, uh, in being, you know, efficient and, and helpful and provide ongoing, uh, in providing ongoing medical care. Once I went to Kharkiv, it was mostly focusing on the things that, uh, you know, obviously are, were way more, I'd call it tactical, uh, a lot of tactical medical training, including prolonged field care, use of ultrasonography in situations where you are stuck with your patient for multiple hours, uh, if not longer. And unfortunately, those instances happen over there. And being able to, you know, do some basic diagnostics, also helping them equip medevac cars. And believe me, uh, when when people now complain, my U.S. colleagues, oh my goodness, we don't have in stock this and we don't have that and we run out of that. I'm like, you know what? Just go to Ukraine and try to equip a, an ambulance or even better, a few of them from a storage of donated supplies where nothing fits with the other thing, where it's all from a different brand and you're trying to make it work. I'm like, Lily, guys, you have nothing to complain about. Yeah, they've never been in that situation. So you really have to learn to make what you got around you and, and create something. <laughs> Believe me, it was quite a, a creative you know, adventure. And especially when you get to um, use medications that are all produced in different countries. They have obviously different brand names. Even this funny thing in Ukraine, they have adrenaline, I mean, obviously epinephrine, adrenaline, that is uh, sold in vials with a concentration of 1.82 milligrams per ml. And I was like, what the heck is this, <laughs> you know, supposed to be? So then you have to make sure that you have appropriate, you know, checklists so people really don't make mistakes with dosings when they have, you know, all kinds of different um, or different vials available or, or, you know, sorted out by only putting a certain kind, you know, at a given time so they don't mix it up. So believe me, um, those were the things that I didn't think I would have to worry about in my uh, medical career. That was quite challenging. We made it happen, but definitely it isn't what we, you know, what we know uh, from our um, from our regular line of pre-hospital duty. So all these refugees that came into Poland that kind of overloaded everything, mm -hmm. did, they, did a lot of them end up going back to Ukraine, even though the fighting is still going on, obviously? 
Quite a few people, yes. I would say yes, uh, especially uh, the folks who live in East, uh, excuse me, in Western or Central uh, Ukraine, because, you know, up until the last Monday, right, when they uh, launched those mass attacks on, you know, Kiev, Lviv, and all the other places all over Ukraine, um, to be honest with you, being in Lviv, it felt like everybody forgot that there's a war going on in in the east of the country. So a lot of folks were, you know, who came to visit uh, ended up staying uh, because they decided, like, well, here the war is over. We can go back to our normal life. A lot of people actually ended up heading back to even to the east and um and over the last few months you know there's definitely an increasing trend in you know patient population even of the cities like Kharkiv which normally is a 1.5 million people city it obviously lost a lot a lot of their folks um you know initially during the first you know efflux of uh of refugees when the war started and the Russians were actually destroying the city, uh, but now quite a few people, quite a few people, ended up going back over there. That's for sure. Well, it'd be a shame for them to go back and find their homes gone and their whole town gone and nothing that, there. That has been that has been, you know, the story for quite a few people. To be honest, walking through the center of Kharkiv in the beginning of July when I got there, uh, I felt pretty apocalyptic when you see a city and not a single building in the city center, like this huge, you know, monumental buildings, not a single one has windows. Uh, all of them have some damaged structure. Um, so it felt pretty apocalyptic and, and so empty. The city center was so empty, barely, you know, anyone anywhere. Uh, you could more or less walk in the middle of a, you know, really broad multiple lane street and, and you would be almost safe doing so. So, yeah, that, that was quite an intense uh, experience. Well, I, I don't gather, say we're talking about those folks that get home and find nothing there and have mm-hmm. medical needs. Is there is there any health infrastructure in those areas at all? So in Kharkiv city itself, right, uh, there's definitely, you know, that most of the hospitals are functioning. Um, there's, there are providers over there, although I must say, you know, it's, it, it's something that's really struck me. We've been, from the beginning, we've been offering, look, we're gonna, we have people willing to come and help you. They have all been notoriously, repetitively saying, no, we got it, we don't need it, we have enough personnel. And when I got there, I, every hospital I went to, I found out that actually that isn't the case. They don't have enough doctors. They don't have enough nurses. And um, there are providers who literally go five, six, seven days on duty nonstop because there isn't anybody to work. So um, so I, th- that was kind of surprising. We still don't understand what is truly the reason of them, you know, um, denying their need for, for that support. And if you speak directly with many of those hospitals, they do end up taking, you know, people from all over simply because they need, you know, 
they, they need that help. They need that support. And thankfully, there's still plenty of people from overseas uh, coming, not necessarily only to hospitals, but also quite a few U.S. medics uh, who um, are going there and uh, provide pretty frontline medical care, medical evacuation, basic needs like primary, uh, securing primary uh care clinics in those deoccupied areas where there are no doctor's offices or the hospitals are completely destroyed. Wow. Jamie, thoughts, questions? You know, you mentioned the 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 um, buildings without windows in, in the center of the city um, and in some of a lot of these areas. Uh, when winter's coming, um, what's what's the plan there? Do you know of anybody that's trying to you know get, get a situation set up where people will have um, places to stay where they don't have their house or their apartment open up to the elements of wintertime um, with the windows blown out? So uh, obviously in obviously in the city um, center itself, in those buildings, people don't live. They're, they're not inhabitable at this point, the degree of the damage, right? Um, in other, uh, you know, parts of the city, uh, there are still plenty of, you know, habitable buildings where people uh, can live. Obviously, it's a little bit petrifying when you look at those, you know, 11, 10, 11 stories high apartment buildings. They're still intact. Um, they look pretty empty. But believe me, I would not want to be on the 11th floor of that apartment, even for free, uh, when there's a, a incoming rocket, you know, attack uh, directed at that building. And unfortunately, it's been an issue over and over again. So, you know, they've been they've been adopting this Israeli model of cleaning up after every, you know, explosion almost immediately. So, you know, if you look at the pictures of Kharkiv from like March, where there was debris and stuff laying all over the place, right now it looks absolutely ridiculously clean other than the damage, you know, that you see to the building. Um, you see uh, fresh uh, bags of, um, you know, fr- fresh trash bags hanging on those uh, like uh, dumpsters all over the city every hundred meters, you know, and and they clearly have empty bags, so someone is cleaning it up. So they they've definitely been pretty good about trying to repair and restore whatever uh, they can, but definitely they had to evacuate, especially from those deoccupied territories where the Russians bombed the entire villages and, and towns pretty much flat with the ground, um, destroyed everything. Obviously, those people have been evacuated, and there have been a lot of American organizations, uh, I mean, from all over the world, actually helping with those, you know. Uh, humanitarian evacuations uh, in fact yeah that's that's really good i know the partner agencies that we have acquired Mm -hmm. um have been doing a lot in terms of actually going out there and helping but you know it did get scary because we had a nurse out there on monday when all of that started and Mm -hmm. we're really concerned about getting her back safely but fortunately she did so what have you done since then, and, and where are you going? I know you have big plans. Uh, well, since I, I actually, you know, because that, that war in Ukraine started while I was a full-time fellow EMS fellow at WashU, 
And so the whole experience of 15 months being away from home in pretty both pretty intense environments, I actually ended up taking a few weeks off. And that's why I'm here enjoying Krakow for a few days and heading uh, to the European Society of Emergency Medicine Conference this weekend and early next week, uh, which is going to be in Berlin. I'm moderating a couple EMS uh, sessions, and we are actually heavily pushing the organization uh, to form an international task force for the uh, support of Ukraine. I have actually uh, linked up, I don't know if you've heard about them, the Hospitalers uh, organization, uh, which is uh, like, you know, it's a volunteer uh, medical battalion in Ukraine where they have uh, teams all over the country, uh, teams of volunteer medical providers, whether that be, you know, basic uh, like EMTs or um, um, physicians as well, nurses uh, who uh, collaborate with the um, local uh, military units for medical evacuation needs. And, um, and I will be helping them with some educational projects like remote because they have crews in so many different places that it is pretty much impractical to do this like in-person type education. But when we uh, combine it with some online guidance, especially for, let's say, in this train-the-trainer type model, uh, we, can definitely, we can definitely help them uh, with that. And, um, well, briefly, it looks like I will be heading back to Lundstuhl, uh Regional Medical Center in Germany. But we will, what I'm going to do there, we'll talk next time uh, after I start. Amy, <clears throat> any questions from you again? No, I just wanted to, you know, Kasia, thank you for taking some time to update us with what's going on. I think, you know, it's difficult for people to keep Ukraine at the front of their minds, but we do need to remember that there are um, healthcare providers there, either uh, EMS or, or medical providers in the hospitals that are all um, working very hard to provide frontline, top-level care to people in very difficult situations. And we need to keep them in our thoughts and and continue to support them in, in smart ways, in ways that they can actually use. Oh, absolutely. I could not agree more. And, you know, one thing I would like to emphasize really well if, uh, and this is my plea to all the, uh, you know, organizations heading out there, please make sure that you do have a good medical evacuation plan and you understand your local capacity of your local, you know, hospitals and healthcare facilities where you are heading in case any of you got injured. You have to know that not every hospital in Ukraine, even over there at the front lines, has blood available in the hospital, which is something unthinkable uh, for us, but, you know, especially under these circumstances. But that's unfortunately a very sad reality. So please, if you go in there, make sure that you stay safe that you have a good plan, that you know where you're going to take your people, that you actually go meet with the hospital over there, that you build those relations, that they know who you are, um, that you know where, where to go, and that you don't end up taking your badly wounded um, colleague to a hospital that can't do anything for them. So uh, this is something I would definitely be... Thankfully, we haven't had such, you know, um, a large number of such instances, but I would really, really uh, caution and, and, and my biggest plea, please, be prepared 
with a you know with a pace plan pretty much where you're going to get your help and how you're going to execute it uh, in case you need it because this standard of care is absolutely uh, varying across the entire you know Ukrainian front line and and keep in mind that's over 1100 kilometers if you add to it if that forbid you know becomes a, a hectic along the Belarus you know Ukraine border as well then we're talking about over 2650 kilometer front line this is absolutely ridiculous unimaginable this is if you look at the map of europe as far as it gets uh, from you know going from poland to to spain so that's quite a long uh, journey if you look at the european continent and um and there, you know and that's something that we may not forget we have to keep in mind and one thing that we do maybe we should maybe think about providing you know and coming up with really short uh, courses on first aid in case of a nuclear uh, attack because as we all know sadly and unfortunately those threats are being continuously made and you know whether they will materialize or not the truth is no none of us knows right now but i i got those requests over and over again where people ask well but, but give me this quick you know update and this quick outline what is it that we are supposed to do in the very first moment was there such an attack how do we approach it and in especially in pre-hospital uh, type environment and how do we direct uh, care so if you guys know of people who are experts in that area and would be willing to even in english we'll get them translated subtitled in ukrainian would be willing to um uh, to record such brief you know podcast for us it would be absolutely amazing. Yes, and that, since I talked to you, Kasia, we've done a lot of that. Um, we have our, a whole bunch of uh, toxicologists that are helping to create, you know, that mm -hmm. level of it and, and all kinds of basic education, both for the people on the ground, for the hospitals, for any of the medical people. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, something you said, Jamie, can relate to, too, because you're talking about people going over there, as there always is those folks during a disaster that want to help. But this isn't a place you want to run into without knowing what you're doing or not being associated mm -hmm. with a particular group that can provide for your safety and so forth. Right, Jamie? Absolutely. Um, and it's, it's one of those things that you have to be um, really aware of exactly what you're doing and, and, and how you're going to go about doing it. So this isn't some place where you want to self-deploy. You want to make sure you're part of an, an organization that can provide you that support and make sure you have access to medical needs you might have need for. Um, as Kasia said, um, Kasia, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, and we look forward to having you back again in the future to talk about other things. Maybe we can try to pull together, uh, an expert on, um, nuclear attacks, um, and response and do an episode yeah. here on the podcast. Mm -hmm. That would be fantastic. And, and really like, like, you know, like this, Pretty much uh, a recipe, basic recipe. What do I do? Was that to happen for uh, for all levels of medical providers? That is something that they keep asking, you know. And I'm not an expert in this area. I can mm -hmm. give them some basic ideas, but this isn't an area where I'm an expert. And I, uh, I'm sure that there are folks who are so passionate and so good at explaining it in such a, you know, good way that I uh, that I don't want to be the one who is providing something substantial. 
standard. I want uh, us to to get the best that we can, and I'm sure that you guys, among you know your uh, among your ranks, have people like that without that. Yeah, Jamie, we'll get Peter back on. Um, he was with us a couple months ago. Okay, and he's a toxicologist, and there's between in that group, there's a lot of people that know about that kind of thing. So Great. I'll grab one and get them on here. That'd be awesome. That would be fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. And I want to thank everybody for checking out the show today. And again, a special thanks to Dr. Joe and the Paragon Medical Education Group for sponsoring the program. As always, um, you can reach out to them at paragonmedicalgroup.com or paragonmededu on Twitter. Um, They're always there to provide some really incredible and um, experiential training for you that'll really um, change the way you prepare for disaster in your communities. um, Sam, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up. Um, is there anything you wanted to say to close us out? Yeah, just one thing. Uh, if people have listened to her and have become interested in helping, if you go to idmc.us, you'll find out what we're doing, and there's a lot of opportunities to help in some fashion. Um, you don't have to be a medical expert. Um, but there's a lot of things. And it's, it's about 50 of us that are all volunteers. But, you know, if you have something to offer, just let us know, and we'd love to have you over there. And, Kasha, just take care of yourself, my friend, and stay I will. in touch. And you know what? And you know what? I learned Ukrainian. I was you, even in my last do? two months, I, I was teaching medical providers in their own uh, language. Of course, there were some funny situations and a few broken words here and there, but uh, it actually worked out quite well. It was fun. You had better luck than I did. I I felt, you know, Russian and Ukrainian need more vowels. That's all I have to say. (laughs) I couldn't do it. Okay, Jamie. All righty. Thank you, guys. Thank you, my dear. Appreciate it. Bye-bye.